Then the text that calls for our attention this Lord's Day is our gospel reading from Matthew 22, where Jesus says, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Hereby to be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We like to think, as modern Americans, that we are the kings and queens of the gotcha question, especially when it comes to the political issues of the day. We watch those political debates on TV, hoping that one of the moderators, or perhaps one of those random citizens at the town hall meeting, might ask that question that will finally expose that politician we despise. We sit on the end of our seat as if it were some sort of gladiatorial competition. But you know, we are not the first to hope that a well-worded question might cause the demise of an opponent. Both of the groups that are present in our gospel reading had the same hope. They came to Jesus that day in hope that a well-worded question would do Jesus in. They thought that if they asked him about paying the census tax, well, then they might steal the title of king or queen, and they might just ruin Jesus in the process. In our day and age, our type of gotcha questions are usually aimed at one political party by the other. There's sort of two clear, distinct sides. But in our gospel reading for today, we see two people coming together to form an unlikely alliance. They decided to work together in order that they might do in their common enemy, Jesus. The disciples, who urged the Jewish people to remain forever pure to God, even in the midst of a godless occupation by the Roman government, were there to question Jesus that day. Right by their side were a group called the Herodians. And while we don't really know a ton about the Herodians, their name itself sort of gives away their allegiance. You see, Herod was the ruler that the Romans had chosen in order to watch over Judea. The Herodians' power, therefore, came from Roman, Rome, and so they urged everyone to be good citizens in order that Rome might be kept happy or at least appeased. These two groups usually would have argued with each other about something like the census tax, but on this case they decided to join together. They figured if they asked him a question about this, he would have to end up offending one party or the other. Yes, he would either have to come out against Rome and he would then offend the Herodians or he would have to come out in favor of paying the tax and offend the Pharisees. And being in trouble with either group was not exactly good news for Jesus in terms of his worldly popularity. These people were right that this question would bring forth words that would offend. The part they got wrong, though, was that Jesus would speak words not that would offend one group, but would send both groups away, equally offended. Yes, he spoke words that exposed both sides' heresies and hypocrisies. 
And we are told that at the end of the account, they were taken aback and left Jesus behind because he did so well at answering their tricky questions. You know, the gotcha question on the day of our text was about paying the census tax that Rome had imposed on all people living under its reign. There were a lot of other taxes, but they were kind of mixed in with the commerce of the day. This particular tax was paid rather directly to Rome, and it was viewed by Rome not only as a way to gather money, but as a way to test allegiance. The Pharisees, though, opposed paying this tax. First, they did not believe they should ever admit that there was someone else ruling over them as Jews. As they once told Jesus, we've never been slaves of anybody. Secondly, there was a problem with the coin itself. The coin that was used to pay this tax actually had a religious implication. Its impression on the coin was a religious symbol that suggested that Caesar and the other Roman rulers were divine and worthy of worship. So the Pharisees did not like anything about this tax. They didn't want to admit that they were under the rule of Rome, and they didn't want to give any impression that they would support such idolatry. And so they did not want to pay. The Herodians, of course, as we said, were largely in debt to the Romans for any power they had. And so they suggested that everyone should pay the tax and fall in line, so to speak. After all, many scholars suggest that probably part of this tax that was paid found its way eventually into the Herodians' pockets. They said to pay the tax, since Rome was ruling over the Jews, and there was no reason to question that at all. Jesus on that day was not interested in simply proving one group right and the other wrong, but instead he was there with one short quip to put them both to shame. He would expose their hypocrisy. So first he asked for the coin, that blasphemous coin that had the picture of Caesar and the words that suggested that he was a god. He took that coin and then suggested that they probably shouldn't have that coin. It was clearly Caesar's. It had his image and it sang his praises. And therefore, they should take it out of their pocket and give it back to Caesar. Yes, Jesus used the coin itself to shame. He used that coin to shame the Pharisees, who did not want to pay that tax. Render unto Caesar he said. Yes, he exposed the Pharisees with those words. And at the same time, he taught a lesson about all authorities that have ever existed in the world. As Jesus would later tell Pontius Pilate to his face, the authority that the Romans had did not come from themselves or from their might. But the only authority they had was that which God had given to them. Yes, despite the fact that the ruling authorities in Rome were not God-fearing people, they were the ones whom God had established as authority over the Jews for that time. Therefore, the people should subject themselves to those authorities 
and pay the tax. I suppose always that this is when the Herodians began to high-five one another and walk away from Jesus feeling vindicated. But before they could get very far, the last part of Jesus' quip reached their ears. And render unto God what is God's. In other words, he was telling the Herodians that if they were simply subjecting themselves to Rome for their own benefit, that that was not being faithful either. If through their words or their actions they gave evidence that Rome was the highest authority in that land, they were missing the point altogether. They had forgotten that God still ruled over even the mighty Romans. Yes, he told the Herodians with those words that if they did not do anything he commanded, or if they refused to do, or if they did do anything that he prohibited, that indeed they would be considered sinful, regardless of the fact that they might be following the authorities of the day. Yes, they too were laid low that day by Jesus. The Herodians were judged, just like the Pharisees. They too were carrying around in their pocket, so to speak, an idol as well. They had turned the state into God, rather than being a tool of God. You see, Jesus was always ready for these attacks that people sought to do him in with. He always had a word of wisdom that could lay low the pride. But he also always had a word of peace that would exalt the humble. As he was God, he demanded the proper rendering of fear, love, and trust be offered to him. And so he made the wise of the world into fools with just a few syllables. As he answered with an authority that these people had never heard before. Those authoritative words of Jesus make their way into our ears today as well. And they demand also the same fear, love, and trust from us. You see, if we exalt ourselves and seek to justify our actions and opinions by trying to rally Jesus as someone to agree with our side, he will humble us as well. But if we humble ourselves and listen to his words, well, then we will be exalted indeed. Our sins will be forgiven. Our life will be made new. Our hope will be made certain. The fruits of his cross and his empty tomb will be ours. But will we humble ourselves before him? Will we truly bow our prideful noses low enough that our ears might hear the word of Jesus? Or will we seek to exalt ourselves by trying to claim Jesus as the star witness to our opinion? After all, I've noticed that most of us tend to have pretty definite opinions on the issue at hand in our text. We have thoughts on how we should relate to the government and how much we should take in regard to paying taxes. After all, our country was founded with such issues right at the center of the revolution that formed our country and our conscience. The question regarding submission to government and the paying of taxes still always sits near the top on the platform of both major political (coughs) parties in our country. There's the one side of the political spectrum 
that yells out, taxation is theft, and seems to be ready at the moment's notice to start the next revolution to oust the government and put it out of its misery. But then there is the other side, which tells everyone to pay their taxes quickly in order that the government might do their good work, especially among the poor. And each side loves to call Jesus to their side. One side asks, well, should we Christians be taxed when the government is so obviously corrupt and inept? Couldn't that money be used better if we Christians had it? Or perhaps it could be given somehow to the church. Surely God can't really want us to support a government that exposes itself so often as being so unconcerned with God or his ways. The other side again says that any good Christian would surely pay their taxes with a big smile on their face. They should allow the government to go about doing its work. They say submit to the government because the government is helping people and bringing people the benefits they need. So what does Jesus say to all of this in our day? Well, he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that have been instituted have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And with such words, he cuts down those who wish to be free of any sort of governmental authority that could cramp their style. They are reminded that indeed God has called us to submit to the authorities he has placed over us. So do those words cut at you? Or perhaps you're the one right now giving the high five and being ready to walk away. Well, wait, for Jesus has another word. Render unto God the things that are God's. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And with those words, he cuts down those who believe that simply in supporting the government, they are somehow fulfilling their Christian duty in whole. They are reminded that the authorities that God has established do have authority, but they do not have ultimate authority. In fact, submitting to them is a rather small thing in comparison to the submission that we truly owe God. They are reminded who is the ultimate authority that is to be respected and trusted. Perhaps those are the words that cut at you. But either way, Jesus' words remain. Yes, his words come to us and they seek to transform us. We should not do as those in the text did who simply marveled that Jesus had escaped their well-crafted trap. We should not walk away in disgust. Instead, we should marvel at the wisdom he shares and seek to conform our lives to it. And so we render unto Caesar what is his. We show respect to the authorities that God has allowed to reign. We pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owned, revenue to whom revenue is owned, respect to whom respect is owed, 
honor to whom honor is owned. And at the same time, we remember to render unto God all things that are his, namely our whole lives. We render unto God our lives as we serve our neighbors. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another, the scripture says, as God's steward of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one whose strength serves with the strength of God. Today, as we hear these words, we will surely all admit that we have failed at one time or another either to give the honor and respect we owe to the ruling authorities or to God. But when we do, let us not walk away and try to simply keep our sins hidden, where we tuck them in our conscience, where they continue to bring guilt. Instead, let us return to the Lord God, for there is no other. As we heard in our Old Testament reading, he forms light and he creates darkness. He makes well-being and he creates calamity. He is the Lord. So humble yourself before him. Turn to God from the idols you have crafted, the ones in your pocket, so to speak, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son who is coming from heaven, whom he raised up from the dead, that Jesus who delivers to us everything we need to be saved from the wrath to come. For God has promised that those who approach him in such humble repentance will receive the gospel, the good news. It will come upon them, not only in words, but in power and with the spirit and with full conviction. You will know then that your sins are forgiven, your life made new, and your hope made certain. God will render to you what is his, Jesus. And then you will have everything you need. Yes, how blessed are we that while we often have to admit we don't render to God or to government exactly what we owe them, we have a God who renders to us what he does not owe us. For what he owes us is punishment and death. But he has placed that upon his son. And what his son deserves, God gives to us. Life and salvation. He renders to us that which he does not owe us. And for that we rejoice forever and proclaim his goodness wherever we go. For God has rendered to us Jesus, and that is all we need. Amen.